welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. everybody and welcome to Punch It, episode 130. My name is Charlene Schmidt and with me as always is... Tristan Riddell. Tristan Riddell, was your Twitter feed as inundated with Destination Star Trek information this weekend as much as mine was? Uh, it was a lot. I wouldn't say it was <laughs> dominated, but it was definitely heavily peppered. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, between political tweets and cat videos, I had a lot of Star Trek content in my feed this weekend. It was a lot to keep up with, but I got to give shout outs to people who uh, kept us informed, let us know what was happening on the other side of the pond. And maybe the most exciting thing to us was we're getting a new Catherine Janeway book out of it. It's true. Yes, that was the thing that stuck out the most to me. And I immediately sent you the picture in the tweet saying that this was announced the Catherine Janeway autobiography and I am I'm so excited because I haven't been in the Star Trek novel game in a long time. I honestly think the last Star Trek novel I read was the novelization of Star Trek 09. Oh wow. So that's 10 years ago now by the way. Yeah, and that's just a novelization. <laughs> it wasn't even an original story. Like, I can't, I just, I, when I was in middle school and high school, I just devoured tons and tons of Star Trek novels, but it just completely dropped off once I got older. And uh, I'd love to get back into it. Yeah, same. I mean, once I got into college, I didn't have time to do leisure reading. I was busy reading textbooks and trying to keep Mm -hmm. up with schoolwork and whatnot. But oh my gosh, I would harass my mother every week for five bucks to go to Walden Books and get the oh, yeah. newest Star Trek novel, and I would devour it in a weekend. Absolutely. And um, speaking of which, like one of, the, one of the books that I read growing up that I absolutely was obsessed with and that you and I have talked about at great length is <laughs> oh, gee, what's Star this? Trek. Yeah, Star Trek Mosaic, which is kind of the, the unofficial biography of Catherine Janeway. It was written by Jerry Taylor, and it shows her backstory at growing up in Indiana, getting engaged twice, and uh, like her relationship with her father, her sister, and just how she got Voyager and everything like that. It was just absolutely fantastic. And so I'm hoping that this, uh, this biography about Janeway is kind of like a mosaic part two. Yeah, same. I've actually had people ask me, didn't we already get the Catherine Janeway story a la Mosaic? And I thought, well, sure, but there's more to Catherine Janeway's story that we don't know. Hello, post-Voyager? Yes, seriously, think about it that way. This could be a huge data mine for events after they get home. I know that we still have some information because of the post-Voyager novels that have been going on. Yeah, and you can debate how much those are canon. So it'll be interesting to see just how much the author, Una McCormick, puts from the novels into her book. And right. like, how official is this? I don't know, but <laughs> it's going to be an interesting take nevertheless. Also, you know, another thought that occurred to me is we were fans back in the 90s when Voyager was airing, when Mosaic came out. 
there's a whole new generation of fans out there who are discovering Voyager and all the other Star Trek shows for the first time, they probably have no idea that Mosaic even exists. So for them, this forthcoming book coming out next year is going to be the Catherine Janeway story. Yes, and it also makes you wonder... Because it's a biography, like, are they going to treat it like a part two where it's just like, listen, this is my biography, kind of just like the real Kate Mulgrew does, where Uh she has a a book that's about her child, her birth and childhood. And then she's coming out with another book that's going to be focused more in, you know, like her Voyager years and then later on and everything like that. And so how is Una McCormick going to be tackling this biography? Is it going to be a part two where it's post Voyager and that's all it talks about? Or... Is it going to be talking about, is it going to be like David Copperfield, where it's kind of like her birth, her childhood, her adolescence, <laughs> and then Voyager, and then everything that came after? Or, and, and actually, I should say, and if she does that, is she going to draw from Mosaic, or is she going to come up with her own stuff? I hope that she keeps what we got from Mosaic intact, and then it just becomes a kind of comprehensive, full-bodied book that goes into the past, but also goes into the future. So for those of us who have read Mosaic, yeah, it might be a little repetitive at first, but then when we get to the new stuff, hey, that's going to be fun. And you and I are aware enough that we understand that every, anything, every, anything and everything that's written is <laughs> can quote-unquote be canon until it is contradicted on screen (laughs) yeah exactly that's the thing how it is with every single novel ever even with star wars stuff that is technically quote-unquote canon like all the new star wars stuff that's canon um even that stuff has been contradicted by stuff on screen just because of whether writing mistakes or miscommunication or whatever or it was it was missed regardless like screen is always king screen is always king but you and i have always had these two novels pathways and and mosaic in a special place in our hearts because with mosaic it was written by jerry taylor and jerry taylor created voyager and helped create the character of janeway and so she is very instrumental to janeway just existing i mean she's the reason why janeway exists oh absolutely yeah janeway is her brainchild and because of that we've always felt like mosaic is the book like that is the biography on Janeway until something is contradicted on screen yes well what was great was the fact that since Jerry Taylor was a showrunner and a co-creator of Voyager a lot of what she put into Mosaic did get on screen and therefore it is unofficially the official story of Catherine (laughs) Janeway because it came from her I think that's how it's generally regarded right if it wasn't Jerry Taylor then I wouldn't be saying this. I would just be saying that Mosaic is a great book. Right. And if it gets contradicted, fine, whatever, that's how it is. But because it's Jerry Taylor, who was yeah. instrumental in creating the show, like somebody could give her a script with some backstory of Janeway and she'd go, <laughs> uh, no, no, I've already written that. <laughs> She's revising that. Yes, you know yeah. she is. And that is okay. She has that right. And uh, yeah, it's her baby. So yeah, kind of like what she says goes. I mean... In that day, anyway. Now, well, we're going to find out. I'm a little excited. Now, just off the top of my head, this is a, a, I think we've gotten, we've gotten a fake biography of Kirk before, right? Right. And Picard. And Picard. I've forgotten about that. I did not know that. Um, 
so I guess they're making their way through the captains. I'm assuming that Cisco would be next. You'd think Cisco I would think. be would come before Janeway. Well, a lot of people made that comment, like, "Hey, where's Cisco?" Probably forthcoming. I think maybe because Voyager's 25th anniversary is on the horizon next year, uh, that's why that's... they're releasing Janeway a little bit ahead of Cisco because they that missed DS Nine's. So well. Oh, sucks to be you, DS9. We're going to go straight to Janeway. <laughs> they, got a, they got a great documentary. They, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Right? Yeah. What are you guys complaining about? Shut it. <laughs> so, okay. Like, if you take away the captains, what's yeah. a biography that you would like to read of a Star Trek character? Any Star Trek character that's not a captain? Mm, well, this is going to, you're going to agree with me entirely on this. I want to read William T. Riker. <laughs> now, why William T. Riker? Did you say that just because I would agree with you? No, or why? no. <laughs> Although I know you're on board with that. But no, my that was the first person that came to mind for starters. But I want to hear about him growing up in Alaska. What was his childhood like? Uh, I want to hear about his daddy issues. I, <laughs> I want to just get more uh, like a more detailed background on this character. Because I feel like as much as we know, there's a heck of a lot we don't know. So what shaped this person? I I think that would be I wanted to say that first of course uh, but I Naturally. was just like that's no that's too predictable like I'll try to say something else but that's why with, I wanted with, to say it <laughs> I appreciate it with Riker uh, you definitely there's a lot to mine there you know with his childhood and losing his mother having a difficult relationship with his father and wanting to be the youngest captain in Starfleet you know or or right. something like that um, what made one, that drive. What made that drive? And then, you know, I know that we have gotten a book on this before, but like how he met Deanna and what was oh, that yeah. like? And what was like a little bit more of their relationship that we got uh, back during the um, the Thomas Riker incident? You know, like we got a little bit more backstory there, but elaborate on that and and things of that nature. And also, you know, now that we know that he is in Star Trek Picard, get a little bit of the Titan years in Certainly. biographical form, like again, I know we have the novels, but like get it in biographical form. And yeah, yeah. why did he? And why did he leave? Or did he actually leave? You know, is he just on vacation? Is he on a sabbatical <laughs> in Star Trek Picard? We don't know. You yeah. know, we don't know. So it would be cool. I, 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 I did think about that, but I, I wanted to shy away from saying Riker. I also wanted to shy away from saying anybody in Voyager because we got Pathways. You sure. know, we got such such rich material in Star Trek Pathways, the novel. Um, so I, my thing I think would be, uh, Kira would be really interesting. Ooh. Yeah, that would be really good. You know, also, growing up in a camp ooh. and everything like that. Here's another idea. The lives of Dax. Ooh. That'd be I'd really read that. Good. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Now, would you want to, like, say there's unlimited budget and time. Uh, would you want <laughs> would you want to do a whole series like where one book is one life or would you want to do one big book that was just a compendium hey with unlimited resources give them all a book they're going to probably vary in thicknesses but you know what go for it and honestly that kind of ties into what we're our real topic is going to be about today we're not just talking about books but you had a great idea about uh, animation and uh, we were trying to come up with our topic, right? And I was thinking animation too, because I got to give a shout out to somebody on Instagram who did a great little piece. That, uh, it was Voyager animated. 
and I showed it to you and we were both just kind of freaking out like, oh my God, this is so good. So you guys, if you're on Instagram, check out the username Crystal Art, K-R-I-S-T-E-L Art. And she's got little pieces of Voyager animation that she made and it's so good. Now our topic at hand is what if CBS created kind of like an animation subdivision of Star Trek and said, (laughs) guys, have fun. Come up with a whole bunch of things. And we're going to come up with a whole bunch of things. That's right. We're having this imaginary pitch session where an executive at CBS uh, or a manager at Star Trek kind of comes into the room and says, hey, we're, we're developing a whole wing of animation. And so you guys... It's your job to pitch us ideas of what animation projects you'd like to see. So there's no real restriction on this. It doesn't mean when we say animation, it doesn't mean we have to come up with something like Bob's Burgers or something like (laughs) anime. It could be anything that is, whether it's 3D or 2D, anything that's in that kind of medium, what would be good for Star Trek? And whether that's like we could do a feature length film, we could do uh, a 22 minute a TV show or we could do you know like shorts or whatever whatever we want to think about right. what would be fun to do in the realm of Star Trek utilizing only animation yes so the great thing about animation is you're not limited by special effects budgets you uh to a certain extent <laughs> well I mean within reason though but I mean the practicality of doing that with a live action show is a little different than with animated is what I mean. Oh, oh no it's it's very different. I just wanted to say it's not like sure. you could you can do whatever you want. <laughs> no 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 no. Also uh makeup same deal. You can have more aliens if you want. And age is not an issue because the characters can look however you want. Now with those things in mind, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as to taking advantage of those things? Well, the first thing that absolutely 100% popped into my head, because I've mentioned this before on the show, when I think when uh, Lower Decks was announced, you know, we immediately started thinking about animation, but we didn't have an entire episode on it. I have always said that I would absolutely love to have a Star Trek version of what we got with Clone Wars and Rebels. Mm, okay. With, with Star Wars. And it, it's, it's, the, it's this really great 3D uh cgi and it's just like with clone wars you had you had mini arcs you had like three episode arcs four episode arcs then you had different characters that you could go towards like the main characters were anakin skywalker and obi-wan and ahsoka those were your main three but you often didn't see them at all for very long periods of time because they went with people you've never heard of or they would go back to people that you saw like last season or just even six episodes ago and so it's very much a great because like the whole with the clone wars it was set between episodes two and episodes three mm-hmm. and it was about that those that war the that the war between the the separatists and the republic and so that was your main thing everybody had that one mission that one goal they wanted to win the war so it was kind of like a world war ii show where you got a different company every single couple every couple of episodes or or everything like that but you had like one captain that you stayed with most of the time and so i would love to do that with star trek where i don't know i don't think you'd need a war but i don't know like a you could have a specific period you could do anything you wanted but like you'd have a specific period of time where let's say it's i guess just for the sake of the the rationale 
like I, I, I don't say you, I'm, I'm, again, I'm saying you don't have to do a war, but just for the sake of comparison, let's say mm-hmm. you did the Dominion War in Star Trek. That was the first thing that came to mind. That like, or Wolf 359. So Ooh, well, Wolf 359 was an engagement that was pretty quick. Right, which is why the Dominion War <laughs> kind of stood out as the more ongoing gotcha. thing. And there's more diamonds in the rough I think you could mine from that. 100%. And again, I'm not saying that Star Trek has to be about war. Obviously, it's not. But just, again, for the sake of comparison, you take the Dominion War. Like, it goes on for a couple of years, and everybody's involved. You have the Federation. You have the Cardassians. You have the Romulans. You have the Klingons. You have the um, people I'm not thinking of right now. But like, you, have, <laughs> you have all these different the systems. Founders, the founders. The, the Vorta. Yes. Yeah, all those people. And the Breen is what the, the race I was thinking of. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So you have all these people, and you can do their stories. It doesn't have to be a Federation story every single week. You could have a Klingon story, a Romulan story. And even within the Federation, you could have the Enterprise-E. You could have DS9. You could have the Defiant. You could even have um, you know, ships we'd never even heard of in the Federation. You can, yeah. you can have... Picard and Riker and Cisco and Kira and Dax and you can have anybody that you'd want in these stories and you could even do it today with those voice actors. Yes, because they're still here and that that's the one catch maybe to an animated series is we do need people to do the voices. <laughs> but that would be kind of cool and what might be fun to play around with from different perspectives is each story coming from a different angle but from the same kind of event Mm -hmm. how did everybody see it differently i love that stuff i love the multiple angle areas in stories because every once in a while tv shows will do that where it's just like okay now this is how this character saw that and this is how this character saw that right so you think you know the story because you watched it once but then you get a completely different perspective with the second part and you realize, mm-hmm. oh, there's more to this that I did not know. And so you go on to the next one and another. And that gives you kind of the 360 view that nothing and, is quite as it appears. Right. And I think that kind of CGI uh, design, that CGI style would really lend itself to Star Trek, specifically in a Dominion War type setting because it's action, it's ships, it's lasers and uh-huh. everything like that. But you wouldn't have to necessarily do it that way. I mean, like, you could do something inventive and fun with a non-warlike story, absolutely. Sure, sure. Yeah, another thing that came to mind when animation, you know, hit my brain was, what if we did a fun pack? You know? Meaning, you do single episodes, but with different crews, and these are the classic crews. So you have an original... 1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D mission, a la animated series. Then you go on to a Picard mission. You go on to uh, having some animated Voyager. Now, the problem is getting voices for everybody, and not everybody is with us anymore, unfortunately. But it's a new adventure every single time, and you don't know what you're going to get. And that's the fun of it. And it's just a short little adventure, a half hour. Okay, so you're talking about like a half hour show. Now, yep. what kind of animation style would you envision this in? That's that's a good question because stylistically, you could maybe even vary it from show to show if you had people invested in that enough. <laughs> or if you wanted to translate it from one to the other, I, 
I don't have anything particular in mind as far as that goes. I would say, hey, you're a talented artist. Pitch me a couple of ideas and then we'll pick one. I think I, I, I see this as more of, I think this would be fun for like a more uh, YouTube short series. Okay, think, yeah, something like that. But you know what? Maybe that's something CBS would be willing to do is maybe throwing the the people who are not subscribed yet a bone saying, you can find these on YouTube. Check it out. If you like it, there's yeah, more where that came from. I'm seeing like something like 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And it's I like the idea of like the original cruise. Like, okay, you get a TOS story, TNG story, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, Voyager, that kind of thing. And then they just kind of cycle through every once in a while. So it's like, yeah. like little one-offs that don't really, it's not, no characters are going to die. Like no story is going to be 100% altered. It's really just an addition to what we already know and love. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like how Short Treks is just like a little little moment in time, a little cutesy story. Mm-hmm. Um but it's yeah, it's not this long, uh, profound mission. It's just a little thing, but it's it's fun because it's the cruise that we know and love, and it it doesn't need to be a massive, huge thing. One thing that I would really like to see, and this is sad because it I I know it'll never happen, but this <laughs> is our this is our fantasy world where you know there's an animation wing. That's right. Um, I would love to see a series of. Let me rephrase. I, I would love to see something like The Animatrix. Okay. Do you remember I when that came not, out? I never watched it. Okay. The Animatrix was uh, feature length, but it was a series of vignettes. Like it was, it was a series of smaller stories uh-huh. uh, put put together to make two hours or 90 minutes or however long it was. I can't remember. And some was CGI animation. Some was traditional 2D some got some was anime like japanese influenced ooh and it, the the style was different from section to section and it had different director different writer different team on each section and it was all based within the matrix world the matrix universe and some like i, I think one, one involved you know like neo and trinity and morpheus but only at the tail end and it gave you some backstory to some characters, but it was free to be incredibly dramatic, incredibly violent, and just very morose at times. And it said something about humanity. I would love to see something like this for Star Trek. Now, I'm not, I would not want an entire show like this. I would not want, yeah, um, something, I would not want something that's incredibly morose, violent, and, and, you know, like grotesque for a season of television. Not at mm-hmm. all. But yeah, some, that would be too much. That would be but depressing. Some, yeah, I, I, I agree. And and you don't want Star Trek to be depressing. But in the realms of artistic expression and, you know, looking to see like what it means to be human or even beyond that where you have a Klingon who is on the home world. Say it's like, centuries ago okay and uh, there's a klingon on the home world and he's in a bloody battle he's just like slaughtering people left and right with a bat left and then he goes back to his home and he doesn't want to do it anymore he's like i don't want to be a warrior but he's considered one of the best warriors he's like i don't want to do this i want to do something else what does it mean to be a klingon when you're not a warrior in a warrior culture and I think that could lend itself to some very interesting types of 2D animation 
that like I want to see stuff that you would normally just see in like an art film for this kind of thing, but just within the <laughs> Star Trek universe. Like find an artist who's really great, find a director who's really great and just say like, go have fun, go get crazy because yeah. it's just a one-off. If you don't like it, then whatever, you don't like it. Right, then move on. But yeah, doing like giving it one shot just to see what the response might be could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I, right now I'm envisioning Klingons, but anime style, and I'm intrigued. Right? Yeah. It's, it's something like that that I think would be a lot, of, a lot of fun. And you could even ground it where it doesn't have to be in space. It doesn't have to be a space battle. Right. But I mean, it could be can, on Kronos. Yeah, it could be on Kronos. And, or you get some sort of really intimate storytelling where maybe we do like a World War III story that ends with Ooh. First Contact. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or you could even do a story with Khan and his super soldiers. Yes, like, yeah, you could absolutely do that. And, like, immediately what popped into my head was, what if we showed the journey of the missile that was to become the Phoenix in First Contact? Ooh. Oh, that would be an amazing story. Yes. So we we see it, like, um, we see people mine the, the steel. We see people mine the metal and take it out of the ground, ship it to where it needs to go, ship it to a factory, People are pounding out the metal, shaping the the casing to the for the missile. People get the the radioactive material. They're putting it together. They almost use it like three or four times. Like they yeah. think they're going to use it. They open up. Like people are attacking. They keep thinking like, okay, is the president going to ask us to do it today? Is the president going to ask us to do it today? And and they uh, and they just don't know. And like you see the finger over the button. Maybe there's no like there's no talking. Like there's no dialogue. It's all just sound effects and and noises oh. and everything like that. And then eventually we see Zephram Cochran come across it, and he and he and Lily are hollowing it out, putting in a cockpit. She's scrounging for metal to make that cockpit, and then they make their their first warp flight, and that it ends with the handshake, and. <laughs> Like, just huh. off the top of my head. I mean, that would be super entertaining, I think. It would. I'm intrigued by the lack of dialogue because that's not how I envisioned it in my head where that would kind of help set the mood. What are people thinking? How are they feeling as these events go on? You could potentially convey the tension of the war, how things are escalating at that time as they're building the Phoenix. And then when tensions are really high and they're maybe they're going to launch and maybe they're not. And are they going to do it today, like you were saying? Mm -hmm. And then only to have the war end, finally, and then it's abandoned. And you're almost sad for the Phoenix until <laughs> Zephram Cochran sma snatches it up and says, no, we're going to turn you into a ship. And then, right. you know, in your mind as a viewer, you're maybe thinking, oh, what is this? I mean, we know who he is, but, you know. Right. Yeah. So then we see him and Lily doing their work on it, and then off into space they go, and oh my gosh, that would be a beautiful story. Because then you and could then, transform it in from destruction to hope. Star Trek! Ex that is Star Trek. That is like, you said the entire, you see the entire life cycle of something like that, where it comes from the Earth, it's very, it's very Terran, it's very us, we make it, we built it for protection, and it was supposed to be an instrument of war, and then we turn it into an instrument of peace and yes that is star trek that is humanity and just while we were talking i thought about another thing that would be really great oh do tell a, as an animated short like great for 2d animation something artistic something that's out there 
uh, something that's uh, like very emo, writing in a journal, like swiping the hair to the side. Um, <laughs> so in the episode of Enterprise Carbon Creek, there is a uh, a Vulcan who, like the Vulcans crash land in, I think, the 50s. The 50s. And that was actually first contact for them for between Vulcans and humans. Yes. Didn't happen after World War Three. It happened just after World War Two, And there's one Vulcan who decides not to go back to uh, his home planet, not to go back with his people. He wants to stay behind. He's like, I want to explore humanity. I want to see what's going on. But he wanted to stay behind and explore humanity. And so I want to see his journey. I want to see <laughs> him leave Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania, I think. I want to see him leave and just travel the U.S., just like backpack through the U.S. and just <laughs> see all the sights, see all the sounds, meet new interesting people. And then, of course, go to other countries. And maybe he has a family. We don't know if he has kids. Maybe he decides not to have kids to not, to not tamper with the gene pool. I think and that would be logical, correct? Because I think that would be logical, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's a Vulcan. He he, that that yeah. would blow his cover pretty hardcore, don't you think? Yes, but what if he falls in love with someone? You know, like what if he oh, has well. a, you know, like what if he has a spouse and then that's a that's a point of contention where they're just like, okay, it's not responsible for me to have children. What if we adopt or what if they don't have children? They decide or it's just a romance and he just and like maybe he he sees like that's a point of drama where because he lives a long time, he sees his spouse die of old age mm. and he has to continue to live on. Yeah, or what if he does fall in love but realizes that even that much would probably be too much. Right, right. And then so he I can't see, let himself see him do it. I want to see him die as well, and then someone find the bones and just go like, "What? What is this? Like, what is going on?" <laughs> Cue the conspiracy theories. Right. I would love, absolutely freaking love, to see that in in that kind of form because we have no idea what happened, and so there would be no contradiction of canon, and it would just be accenting the story, and we can retcon so much. That could be fun. That could be interesting. Sure. I feel like these kinds of stories really lend themselves to animation because they can be short. They could be long. They could Uh be without dialogue. They can be with dialogue. And these kind of explorations are fun for the fans. And they're also interesting stories for non-fans. And they don't take a lot of investment. Yeah. From CBS or the fans themselves. Right, because it's not an ongoing series. We already know we're getting some of that. So I love the exploration of details, and this is kind of the perfect format to help make that happen. Yeah, it's you can explore stuff that we already know, or we can explore stuff we haven't seen yet. Right, right. And even for those of us, like a lot of these stories that we've come up with, we know the details of, but I feel like as a new viewer, you can get enough context to enjoy it on its own. You could go back, see what you've missed, and then come back to it and learn even more. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the joy of that is it's accessible. Yes, very much so. And the time commitment. Like um, people were just uh, like Paul Rudd's show, Living With Yourself, came out on Netflix and it's only eight episodes and they're only like 25 minutes each. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my wife and I, we're like, okay, well, let's give this a shot. I mean, even if it's just okay, it's something to watch because we know there's an end in sight. Like we can get this done in two days or two nights, you know, if we wanted uh-huh. to. And 
Paul Rudd was actually pitching that on Conan saying like, oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not that big of a time commitment, you know, like, because <laughs> he said, he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, Game of Thrones, uh, I'm sure is one of the greatest TV shows ever. I haven't seen a single episode because what am I supposed to do with eight seasons and, you know, like 10 episodes a season. And like, there's <laughs> other shows like, like MASH that had like, 15 billion seasons and 30 episodes of seasons and everything like that yeah it's a huge time commitment it's daunting it's insane and and conan actually said something that we say all the time as star trek fans that just doesn't fly today anymore it just does not work today where people will like what he said was it's like oh yeah people will come to me and say oh yeah season one and season two are kind of slow it really doesn't start to pick up until season three so you just kind of have to wait it out and he's like that's like 25 hours worth of material that i have to watch <laughs> right before and it starts a lot of to us get don't good have time for that anymore right and nor the interest like imagine yeah. pitching next generation today to someone who's not a Star Trek fan, but they're a completist, and you say yeah. like, okay, yeah, it doesn't start to really get good until season three. They're going to go, well, how many episodes? Is it like six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes? Don't right. tell me it's 13 episodes. And they're like, no, it's actually 25. They're like, oh, go screw yourself. No, I'm not going to watch <laughs> right. that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Things really have changed in that respect. We're so saturated with content, and it's good content. And there's just not enough time in the day. And we were just talking last week about how difficult it is to sit down and actually watch a show. I think a lot of mm -hmm. people do what I did when I was working from home. And I would put something on and then I'd be halfway paying attention to it while I'm doing something else. Because that was the only way I was going to get like anything watched. I, I don't do that. You don't? Like... I I will do that with stuff that I've already seen a thousand times. Okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. But I won't do if I've never seen it before, I won't do that. Like I won't do laundry, I won't like play on my phone, I won't go do stuff around the house. The old, like if there's something new, then I'm going to sit down and watch it. And if I don't have the time to sit down and watch it, then I'm not going to watch it. Okay. Because Yeah. I want to consume stories. I don't want to just consume media. Well, yeah, that's that's true. That's a good distinction. There are certain shows that I actually will sit down and critically watch because they're that good. But if I'm just superficially into something, eh, whatever. You yeah. know? <laughs> if I can just hear it and then occasionally peek and see what's happening on screen and that's enough, well, so be it. But I'm, <laughs> you know, it's getting the level of attention that I can give to it at that time. That's what it deserves. You know? It's it's a yeah. tough thing that in this day and age we're we're spoiled by the amount of content out there. We really are. We have so much at our fingertips and it's just amazing to me because people constantly complain about new streaming services popping up. And yeah, well, it's just, you know, you got to pay 5.99 for all of them <laughs> each one. Yeah, and that's the thing though is that like and people have, like if you guys follow me online, you know that I talk about this a lot. But think about what you're complaining about. You're complaining <laughs> about more choices. You're complaining about more stories and more content and more media. Nothing is saying, nobody's telling you, there's no government mandate that says you have to pay for this media service. No one, no tax man is saying, did you pay for your taxes? Oh, okay, I see that you did. Did you pay for HBO Max that's coming up? Well, no. Well, okay, that's a penalty right there. No, 
you get to choose and you get to do it on a monthly basis. Right, right. Yeah, I honestly feel like the complaint is more about having too much choice. And that it is that is an embarrassment of riches. It is. It, and really, I think there is too much out there right now. It's hard to have a focus because of how much good content is out there on across so many services. And yes, if you want little bits of each one and you're bothered by the fact that maybe you have a month of HBO, you have a month of Hulu, what have you, I understand that's a pain in the butt. But like you're saying, put it into perspective. Think about the days when if you didn't have cable, you had three freaking channels. Yeah, like that's the difference here is that like we're going from like just having TV over the air to having cable. That's what's going on right now. And like someone tabulated all of the streaming services that are coming out and are out right now. If you paid for all of them like without commercials, so like the premium plans, uh-huh. it would still be less than the, the cost of a cable package. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I have not done that math yet, so that's good to know. Just because I know, you know, so many people cut out cable because mm-hmm. Netflix and Hulu, well, that took care of your entertainment for a while. Now we've got so many services. I wonder if you did every single one of them, how would it add up? Okay, now you answered yeah. my question. <laughs> it was something like 90 bucks a month. It was something like that. Mm. I mean, that is if- a lot for your entertainment. But if that's what you do for your kicks, consider that the price of a ticket to any concert or sporting event is probably going to be in the triple digits for something really big. Well, my my parents and in-laws, they pay 150 if not more per month just for cable. Really? They're getting ripped yeah. off. <laughs> yes, they are. Cuz cable is a rip-off and it's it's just a collection of 24/7 streams that uh-huh. you have to either DVR or catch into at this at the right time and with streaming services, it's all on demand. And right. you're not they don't put you into a 2-year contract. You can just do it via month. And like, do I want the new Dune show to be on HBO Max, something that I don't currently have? Of course not. But if I want to watch it, then I'll just try it out for a month or I'll wait till it's over and then binge watch it. Not everything that comes out, we have to watch. Not everything is for us (laughs) and not everything. we, We have to be okay with the idea that we're not watching everything the moment that it drops. This is a big problem, right? Because people will spoil it incessantly on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you are on social media. We have that immediacy bias. We're so used to it anymore. It used to not be like this even just a few short years ago. Right. It really didn't. And I think that's the, that's the I okay, I I know I'm complaining. You're on a rant here, sound, but I love it. Keep I am, going. I am on a rant because it's just, I know I may sound like I'm holier than thou, and I know that people are just like, well, I don't have the money, I don't have this, and I'm like, I get it. I completely understand. There's tons of things that I don't have the money for that I want, and so I don't get them. I yeah, don't it buy also, them. Yeah, you don't have to have it all. You don't have to have it all. It's just like gro- it's, it's just like growing up where, okay, so like I grew up with over-the-air television, and then one day when I was older, my dad's like, okay, we can afford cable, we're going to get cable. And I'm like, okay, well, are we going to get like HBO and Showtime? And he's like, no, go screw yourself. Why would I do that? That's an extra <laughs> so-and-so a month. Did I did I go to him and can, and say like, but I need to watch my shows. I need to watch this. These five things came out this month. And he's like, no, just deal. Did I go on, well, mainly because online didn't exist, but did I go online and say, <laughs> how dare you, HBO, put your show on your own network instead of making it free to the world? 
<laughs> why would they do that? Why would I complain about that happening? It's just like, why would we say like, okay, well, this show is coming out on HBO Max. This show is coming out on Showtime. This show is coming out on Hulu, whatever. This show is coming out on Apple Plus. And people are just like, oh, not another streaming service. When I hear that, what I hear is, oh, not more stuff that I have the the ability to consume if I want to. <laughs> right. Oh, darn, more things I'm interested in. Yeah, it it's it's a lot, and it is. Of course, they're going to produce good content. That's their. That's the thing now is the studios get to produce good quality content in hopes that you will give them a little bit of money their way. That's now, their job. Exactly. The thing for me though, like I know that we're we've been talking a lot about streaming and paying for a service, and the one thing that we haven't brought up and by design is <laughs> Star Trek on CBS All Access. Yeah. Now. You've, you've heard us defend this decision, and I will defend this decision. I think, like, CBS wants to make money, and they want to use Star Trek as the vehicle to drive CBS All Access. And that's the sole reason why I subscribe to CBS All Access when those, that, those shows are out, like when Discovery is out. That's the only time that I subscribe to CBS All Access. Now, like, when I was complaining early on during this announcement, it my complaint, and this is what a lot of people misconstrued, my complaint was not that uh, I would have to pay for Star Trek. I'll gladly pay for Star Trek yeah. easily. It's Star Trek. We go to Las Vegas. We spend thousands of dollars on merchandise and cons and autographs and right? meeting people. Like We have no right to complain about paying for Star Trek. None of us do. Um, and so the thing that I didn't like was, it's like, yeah, but people were like, you know, like the international audience outside of the US, they, they get it on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, that sucks that you get it on Netflix and, and we have to get it we on CBS All Access. And they said like, well, what are you complaining about? We have to pay for Netflix. And I was like, yeah, your dollar that goes towards Netflix gets you hundreds of shows, like almost what, like hundreds and hundreds of shows and yes. hundreds of movies and tons and tons and tons of great material that you get to watch. We get Star Trek Discovery and essentially that's it. Like, yeah, they have other things on there, but overall... Really, what you're paying for is <laughs> that's for Star our Trek primary Discovery. reason, right? And if we could get it on Netflix, you know, Netflix is what ten ninety nine a month now, and you're getting all of that other stuff along with it. Yeah, I I mm -hmm. get the complaint, but there's also a lot of complication in terms of rights issues internationally oh, yeah. and what have you. Totally. Yeah, the details of which I don't even fully understand, so I don't want to say too much because it's going to be a bunch of crap, but. You know, at the end of the day, it's still Star Trek. I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to gladly give them my money. Um, end of story. That's kind of where it begins and ends for me. Let them figure out all those other details. That is totally exactly what I'm saying. Like 100%. Like that was my main complaint. But here's the thing that doesn't make any sense. Like my lizard brain is just like, <laughs> eh. Like if you told me I had to pay that much for like an iTunes subscription... Uh -huh. Like where like I just purchase it and then I own those episodes. Uh, but like, but I don't get access to any other things. The exact same amount of what I pay for CBS All Access. Yeah. Uh, of, of like, like for four or five months or however long it's out. So let's uh, that's so that's forty bucks. Say like say that it came out on iTunes and it's just like oh it's Star Trek Discovery forty bucks. Then you own the show, and but that's all that you're getting. You're not getting anything else. You're not getting any other CBS show that's on CBS All Access. I'd be like, that's a good deal. 40 bucks for a Star Trek show? Sure. Boom. Bang. Done. 
That doesn't make any sense. Why would <laughs> no, that be okay? No, it doesn't. Especially when you can watch The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. Go watch it. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is that it's... Perspective. Uh, it's perspective. It's all perspective. And I'm sure I'm, sure I'm making some people angry. And I, I'm not trying to make <laughs> people angry. I'm really not. I'm really not trying to make people angry. And, and if I did, I really do apologize because I'm sure you have some sort of reason. Um, but if, if money is an issue then that's fine because this is not the only thing that, like, this is not tipping you over the scales. If money is an issue for you, there's tons of things that you don't go out and buy. Money's an issue for everybody. Every single person has an issue with money if you're not a millionaire or a billionaire. Yeah. And, and so, like, there are, tons of th- there are tons of things that I want to enjoy for entertainment purposes, and that is what Star Trek is. It's not a right. It's not a duty. It's an entertainment choice. Right. And you know what? You as the consumer have the right to pick and choose. I think maybe that's how we're bottom lining it is with this oversaturation, you do have to pick and choose just by default because there's just simply too much. So I think that's where a lot of people are complaining is in this cornucopia of entertainment, it's too much. We're overwhelmed. We can't possibly get to it all. And we're boggled. Like, what do I do? I can't do all of this. I don't want to pay for all these things and I don't have enough time to watch it all. What do I do? Well, you take a deep breath and you open a book. If you just oh, can't handle it, go oh watch. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You had, you had me book until ending here. that moment. We're bookending. No, you had me until that moment where it's just like, oh. yeah, sure, go for it, go for it. Yeah, and then you pull out this that whole pretentious mm-hmm. argument oh, of like pull me. out a book. No, 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 no. We started with books. We're going to end with books because oh. you know what? Books are beautiful. And you know what? We watch we watch so much on screens anymore anyway. If it's too much, you have the right to choose nothing at all. Do something else. See, see okay, that I would have been with you if you said that or ah. if you said... If you like nothing at all, or if you said, go to your local library. If money is an <gasps> go issue, go to the library. Go to the library. You can get a book. You can get a comic book. You can get an audio book. You yes. can get a. Uh, you can get a movie. You can get a TV show. You can get tons of encyclopedias. You have access to computers. You have like support your local library. Go to your local library. Utilize your local library. If you're within the city limits and you pay taxes, go to your local library. Have fun Absolutely. with it because that is quote unquote free. Because you're already paying for it. <laughs> right. And so, if so you might as well issue, use it. Go there. Go there. Absolutely. Okay. So let's wrap up the show with that. Support your local library. Clear your head. And enjoy what you've got. There you go. All right, okay. folks. Thank you so much. That was our episode. It kind of took a few twists and turns. We started with some uh, unauthorized <laughs> biography of Janeway. Then we talked about what animation projects we'd like to see. And then we had a lot of ranting about streaming and choices and consumer responsibility. And then ended with support your local library. I think if anything, out of all this entire <laughs> this entire episode, if, if, I, if we could drill one point home, support your local library, support your local librarians. Absolutely. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this medley. We we really did kind of do the fun pack of Punch It today. <laughs> so please go to thenerdparty.com for everything that you could possibly need. We got shows coming to you every single day of the week. And we got something for everybody. Star Trek, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Babylon 5, Doctor Who, movies, TV, everything, everything. And also if you want to contact, contact us, go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, select Punch It, Fill out the form and it'll send us an email. You can let us know if you agree with us or if you completely disagree. 
uh, because I'm sure we said a lot of things today that a lot of people are just like, no, screw you, Tristan. I don't want this streaming service because of XYZ. That's totally cool. I want to hear it. Be respectful. And I'll be, we'll be respectful back. Um, you can also find us on social media all over the place. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search The Nerd Party. You'll find us there. And uh, next week, are we going to rant? Are we not? Who knows? Tune in to find out. <laughs> because whatever no it is, we have no idea. Because whatever it is, we're going to be punching it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.